Hello, friends, and welcome to the Cinemondo podcast with Kathy and who's that? We have a special guest today. The, the, this is a legend. This, a legend is among us, folks. <laughs> uh, and, a, and a great old friend from way back. We were, we were children together. <laughs> we were one well, of the is, first people we met when we moved. Yeah, to yeah. no, you were kids. I was the camp counselor. <laughs> <laughs> this is Courtney Joiner, folks. It's a it's a great honor to have you with us, Courtney. Thanks for joining oh, us. Well, you guys are the a sweetest in the place. Up. Uh, Courtney's well, legend. Courtney's Courtney's legend, yeah, has done everything. I think there is there anything you've never that you have never done? There's, Skydiving. It, stay married. <laughs> is, that is, is rare. <laughs> is written and directed and novelized and novelled and and uh, short storied and, and screenplayed and scripts screenplay scripts and screenplays. Did you and ever make cameos in movies? Were you ever in a, one of your movies? Well, acting. Yeah, it's got it's a okay. huge... Dawn of the Dead. Okay, so yeah. Oh, okay, acting. We'll get into that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. I remember Lots of that. Great stories. Dawn of the mm -hmm. Dead. And and uh, just just kind of um, always classy, always good stuff, always fun stuff. It's the kind of stuff that, you know, if you if you watch this podcast, you, you know who he is. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true okay so let's dig in shall we what's how did you the, get started yeah how oh did you Lord. get started what's, your, you love that what's your advice to a young like, filmmaker where did you come from how did you end up in hollywood how does this work how do i achieve well, success <laughs> you us. know guys a wise I, was, one. Uh, I think when i first met you guys we had we had already done from a whisper to a scream yes yeah. the offspring right? and yeah. yeah and i was kind of off of my Jeff was doing, I think he and Darren were doing Stepfather 2 by then. Right. I'd Jeff Burton. And we were getting ready to do Class of 1999, or that may have already been made by that point. I can't, I honestly can't. I think remember. it was already done. Yeah. I think yeah. those were your credits at that point that we were yeah. like. But because, uh, you know, we were just all, I would, I'd say this, you know, going back to, of course, I was a, you know, a movie geek and all, all that stuff and finally got into USC. But, as you knew all of us. And the whole thing is that here was this just group of guys who meet in college and there were yeah. like six or seven of us and hanging out at Bordner's and running our mouths about things we were going to do. Yeah. Right. And the, <laughs> but the thing was dreaming to oh, a yeah. person, every single one of us ended up making movies, which is the odds against that was pretty that. high. Yeah. Really good. So, you know, and big, big ones and very small ones. But, yeah, we all, you know, got in there and, you know, started punching away. There's no that. such thing as a small movie, only small people, right? That's right. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I mean, some of the, some of those small films, you know, you, it, it, those are the ones you hold the dearest in your heart, you know? Right. So, yes. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so now, we met was... you guys as a group. We met you all as mm -hmm. kind of the the renegades in hollywood yep. like yeah making movies making shit happen i think it was through <laughs> the early fun. days of of cinemondo actually when yeah, we were we still ken. a print magazine and and mm -hmm. i think somebody maybe ken hall wrote wrote to us and so then when we came out to the fangoria weekend of horrors we were like we should hang out we should meet up and we met yes, and then i remember that 
I think that's yeah. That was Kathy. It's, it is time just to lay it bare. Your Frankenstein dress was the topic of conversation among this group for like a decade. Okay? That is so cool that I have a legend too. You know, I think yeah. I still have that dress. If I don't, I need to get it again because that's right. The Frankenstein dress. I yeah. forgot about that. That's right. Oh, that we didn't. So good. <laughs> you guys were so polite. I had no idea. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, youth. Uh, we were all so young then. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. I love it. That's but so yeah, I remember those Fangoria weekend things. That was oh, like so the fun. the internet of its day, I guess. It was maybe the the Facebook of its day because that was where all the mm -hmm. all the people of a certain type got well, together. And you know, uh, the thing was during that period, um, and people I get interviewed about the old full moon stuff and things like that, yeah. and what folks don't understand especially the way pay rates are now and what have you on movies that end up on you know yahoo streaming or whatever and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that but we were making real money because yeah. the vhs market had exploded yeah as you guys know action international pictures yeah. um that <laughs> you know it was just the american film market it was just like raining gold yeah, yeah. On everybody and the demand for product was so intense that we literally could not. Darren and I were talking about this a, a while ago, that if we had a project now for an independent financing in, you know, like, say, 1988, it would take us a month and a half of meetings to hit every single independent producer who was making movies. Yeah. Now you could do it in an afternoon. Right, right. Yeah. And it was just, it was absolutely in incredible. It was like the Wild West. It was just this free for all. So we were all doing things all the time. I mean, you were if you weren't at New Line, then you were at Canon. If you weren't at Canon, you were at Atlantic. If you weren't at yeah. Atlantic, yeah. you know, and it just TWE or you know whatever. And we were all working for all of all of those outfits. Yeah. Do you feel like that's sort of starting to happen with streaming at all, with all of the the little channels? Are you seeing more of that kind of, in a way, smaller movies getting made for uh, streamers? You no, know, Kathy, or it's a weird situation because the need for product is so enormous, but it seems like the opportunities to contribute product has shrunk, and I don't yeah. quite understand why yeah. this disparity. Um, I was with a, a, a good friend of mine the other day who was extremely successful in television. And he was um, saying, uh, and he was part of the Charles Brothers group and Cheers and all that stuff. Right. And he was saying that he was the only writer. Now, he was one of the main writers on Cheers who was working. Mm, Maybe right. a half-hour sitcom format mm. or whatever. But it's like, how is that even possible with this incredible demand? But... It's yeah, it's huh. a really weird contradiction, I guess. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Are you, you think people are taking less chances with what they choose to produce or is it just like there's you know, you get like a little circle of uh people that you work with and then you don't go outside of that circle ever. I I think it's more that um yeah. and also to let's face it, you know, it's the turning of the earth and yeah. uh you know, there's a, there's a big difference between, you know, wanting to bring somebody in who's in their 60s and wanting to bring somebody in who's 35. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that uh, that affects all of us. So certainly 
you know, my immediate group. Absolutely. It does. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Doesn't affect me yet, but you know, um, <laughs> also I feel like streamers are still trying to figure out how to actually make money and be viable. There's a big, there was a big, you know, uh, boost during the pandemic yeah. and then you know movie theaters were crashing and burning because everything was closed and now it's kind of start kind of full circle where now the streamers or people are unsubscribing theaters are kind of starting to creep back yeah and, um, and also too i think certainly in a case of a place like netflix they were overspending to such yes. an astonishing they degree were. yeah and you're going wait a minute how did this movie cost 65 million dollars when it's yeah. you know Charlie's Theron and Donald Sutherland sitting in a room talking for two hours. People yeah. are just raking it in. It, yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, wait, this just doesn't make any sense. And you know, I, I loved their CEO announcement. Well, we're going to have to stick to very strict budget. So now nothing over 40. <laughs> right. Maybe. Yeah, 40. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, but you know, the, the competition is so fierce. Like Netflix yeah. is still king, but... They're, you know, they've lost subscribers, you know, some of yeah. them are kind of growing, but it's still like, you know, there's a lot of streamers that came out like Peacock or whatever, and they're just sort of leveling out a little bit, not the huge boost that they thought. You well, know, right. I think it is the wave of the you know the future, though. I mean, well, but I, Kathy, yeah. don't you think also with, with a, a place like Netflix, they were able to go ahead and go to see Steven Soderbergh, go to yes. Martin Scorsese, yeah. go, you know, mm -hmm. to Christopher Nolan and all these yeah. guys and give them deals. And big yeah. deals, like big deals, yeah, absolutely. Like, yep, the it's not the shame. To, yeah, yeah, being a you know being a Netflix movie isn't shameful anymore. Nope, and, nope. and people are like theaters, you almost don't need them. Like you know, I I miss the arc light more. It was like a person died when the arc yeah. light closed yeah. for a while. I I still feel this emptiness that's not there. <laughs> and you know, the, we're talking about the Cinerama Dome arc light. Uh, right. Hopefully, it's opening next year. But I want theaters to succeed, but I also, I'm one of those people. I love watching stuff on, you know, my couch in front of the big TV. I know I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite <laughs> like that. It's just like, it's so easy to watch a movie click, you know, hard to get me to the theater now, but it's also house. not the arc light. So. Yeah. Well, you know, back in college, uh, Jeff, Jeff and I would, I mean, it was always the two of us and then whoever wanted, you know, up on the Hollywood Boulevard. Oh gosh. Yeah. What was that great theater? Was it the state galaxy? That was right down there, right off of Hollywood Boulevard. I'll think of it here in a sec. Triple bill uh. every single week. And usually, I mean, so, you know, uh -huh. oh, great. Let's go see The Gates of Hell, Funeral <laughs> Home, and Three Strikes of the Sholin Wildcat. Right. You know, like, yeah. And the only way to see it, really, because VHS yeah, was hard course. to get them on VHS. And yeah, oh, you know, yeah, with guys getting TV stabbed and... in the bathroom yeah. and everything. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so true. You have to just get used to that, the, uh, the theaters that smelled like uh, public restroom. So what was your interest? Like, how did you, when you came to Los Angeles, you want to make movies, what drew you to horror? Or was it just sort of mostly a business decision where those were the ones making money at the lower level budgets? Or did you just love horror or whatever your Well, you know, it was a, it was genre. Really a combination, you know, of both. I mean, I am a genuine monster kid and growing up in that sixties period, I mean, I was a younger monster kid, yeah. but still, you know, trying to explain what that was like around 1966, 67 and there, there 67, I'm eight years old. And you were just surrounded. You, the universal monsters on television, yeah. hammer films and AIP in the theaters the monsters, the monsters, whether it was coloring books and model yeah. kits and stickers and they were everywhere. It was, it was like this 
explosion <laughs> yeah. of this stuff. And then famous monsters and Castle of Frankenstein and creepy and eerie and Vampirella, which I always had to hide. And yeah. <laughs> just every, you were just surrounded by all this great, cool stuff. Yeah. And then paperbacks and, you know, Frank Frazetta, Conan and, you know, James Bama, Doc Savage and all that. Yep. So I was just, you know, every hey. day was just a delight, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, more, Depending on where you live, where I yeah. grew up, that stuff, you just couldn't find it i mean i would see i remember getting famous monsters at the at the magic market in tallahassee florida where i grew up and i would look through that thing and not know what the hell any of it was because i'd never seen it or heard of it and you know there was so many things in there that i read about that seemed like treasure when i finally got to see it you know when i finally got to see that movie or or whatever it was, you know, like a like yeah. a certain per, like an actor even, or or somebody that it seemed like Forrest Ackerman was constantly writing about this person. And I'm like, I've never seen a movie with that person. <laughs> so some of us were deprived of that monster kid childhood a bit, you know. <laughs> well, the thing is too, you know, but there's been a lot of criticism of Ackerman and and things like that. Yeah. He was very he was very nice to me. My brief encounters with him, yeah, um, but. Literally, without that magazine, how how many ten year olds are running around talking about Conrad Veidt and Lionel? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that would not have happened without Famous Monsters of Filmland. That's just fact. That's just yeah. That's true. So that just introduces all this stuff. He was a he was a strange cat. We visited him a few times too Mm -hmm. up in his. 1-800 moon he was so fan. open like he would just you could just go to his house and he just let you into his house and walk around yep. like it was very strange that he was so easily accessible and he loved kathy oh yes i always he wore loved... the skeleton dress no there you yeah. go <laughs> hi can i come in yes <laughs> he would take her off and show her things like he did not for, take me off and show is, me things no this is for women only and he'd take her off and but no i remember oh. him i remember one time it was like do you like um a television show called the outer limits and i was like yeah of course and he's he gets some keys and he hands us the keys and he says go out in the backyard and go down to the basement um there's a door with a padlock and go inside and so we went inside and it was like literally every outer limits monster down there oh the xanti misfits right there on that shelf yes sitting right out there just with you know we could easily have just taken it he did not monitor you he did not check it he He would disappear he'd let us just wander his house which used to dr acula let you into grizzly land yeah (laughs) this is the ring that bella lugosi was buried in oh yeah saying how did you i won't even ask same the same jokes every time we visited him but he was He was such a part of everything, you know. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, that was the Hollywood royalty for us. See, I was a girl in the South who loved horror <laughs> movies, and I was thinking I was the only one. So when I discovered even I, – I wasn't the cool thing like monsters, but I was – you know, Fangoria was like this revelation. I discovered yeah. Fangoria. Oh, that's good. So we have still, because that's who I am. Yeah. I'm still doing oh. it. There we go. This, I have my ultraviolet movies. 
Wow. And the book of Hannibal from the series. Um. Anyway, so, You're such so a nerd. I, Angoria was the big deal to me, and it felt like really like subversive, and it was a very big deal to have it. And a lot of stores would carry it, like even like cool stores, like comic book stores. And so when I came to LA, it was like it opened doors because all of a sudden things weren't hidden behind shelves or hidden away, right. and you weren't ashamed. And like, here we were. And we found yeah. tons of women and men who liked horror movies. That believe that was hard to find. <laughs> Well, my my youth was, uh, I you know, you had to s find your friends who yeah. were into such things. And one of my, still one of my best friends uh, is someone that you know, too, I believe, Mark Maddox. Mm -hmm. Mark Mark and I, Mark was always a brilliant artist in, in, uh, in high school. I remember yeah. him getting... He is fantastic. Basically kicked out of art class for drawing monsters, like he and I both... And uh, yeah, he's he just um, South. <laughs> it was like we sort of found each other, and it was like, oh, yeah, my <laughs> people. Yeah, we went to see. We were like first in line to see the movie, you know, Dawn of the Dead, and then the next day mm -hmm. we were, you know, throwing film in our Super Eight cameras, making our own zombie movies. And but you know, you find your you find your people find in your this tribe. world. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know that's why I was interested in how you guys got into that genre because you know, now we know but yeah like that's sort of like what my interest would be and then when we met you guys you were doing that and it was like oh cool they're making horror movies that's really cool yeah. and then, you know worked with all the big you know horror screen queens and you know yeah. that was a very very heady time well you know the thing <laughs> yeah. is like you mentioned you know Kathy mentioning Fangoria FM I mean that was about older movies generally and yes. you know things like that and then they cease publication yeah and fango not only was you know let's reinvent a monster magazine yeah. and all of that yeah. stuff but also it stepped into also the direct vhs world and of course it turned every makeup artist into a rock star yeah totally. yeah so suddenly and i don't know i guess i was profiled in that thing three or four times and nice. yeah you know it was uh but we all were yeah and um it was a small click it was a small <laughs> click but you know tony timpone and and mike ingold and you know uh, i think anthony ferrante wrote yeah. every single uh profile of me they published i remember this he used to drive this toyota truck that always <laughs> needed a jump whenever he left my apartment <laughs> So we always, I always kind of had the cables ready, and, right? Uh, you know, Anthony. Like, well, I'm heading out. Okay, let me come with you. Yep, the exactly. <laughs> but you know, it was it was interesting because here was you know like this next wave of 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 folks, and they're, they're influenced by Tom Savini or yeah. whatever the deal is, and we were the ones who were of the age to go in to talk about writing a Friday the 13th or, right. you know, what, whatever it might be, whatever new series was involved and whatever. And we were all doing that stuff and we were running around. And of course I came in on Rennie's nightmare on Elm street and worked in secret and all, all that junk. And, <laughs> you know, we were, that was it. We were just kind of part of what was going on. Not, you know, the mega, you know, obviously not what John Carpenter and right. you know, Wes Craven and those. Well, I guess Wes was my boss, but briefly, but um, <laughs> doing. But um, it was, uh, you know, the 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 theatrical explosion of horror, thanks to Halloween, thanks to Friday the Thirteenth, mm. and even to a degree, thanks to 
a movie like Maniac, which got so much attention. Yeah. yeah. Still because, legendary. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, remember with the, the paint all over the posters on Hollywood Boulevard mm-hmm. and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The protests and everything. So, you know, there really was a lens being focused on horror. And, you know, you guys, I always wanted to ask you this because I got a little weirded out at Fangoria conventions because we went through this period where um, car accident videos oh, and the kind of faces of death type right, stuff right, right. Death, which was phony. But yeah. there was a lot of stuff and a lot of obsession with serial killers. Right. Yeah. And I, that kind of, I don't know. I, I was like, you know, there's no supernatural element here. I don't right. consider this horror. This is like crime and yeah. tragedy. And just because it's gory doesn't make it horror. Right. Like, That's totally my thing, too. I always felt like if something smelled mean-spirited to me, I wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't want to be um, attacked, you know, by a film or, or uh, provoked by a film i mean in some ways you want to be you want to have your expectations provoked or you want to come out a little bit disoriented maybe you want to see something that is shocking but i don't want to see anything that makes me i don't i think what it is is it's like if it it's too close to reality as far as Mm -hmm. what it what it is i mean i prefer i mean i'm not what you'd call a, a religious person but i love movies about you know devils and demons and stuff that's an example of detaching from reality i don't i I think for me films are more like a detachment from reality an escape from reality well and i also like i draw a very hard line between fake and real and i don't i i enjoy like the artistry of the gore effect which sounds weird when i tell people like you know when they're hiding their eyes i'm like dude you're missing this guy spent hours on this (laughs) but i don't want to see real people dying like i i don't i get that it's fake in the movies and there is no entertainment value to me to see things like people dying car wrecks or in like faces of death even though someone were you know you said kind of fake but i'm not interested in that i do love a good serial killer movie though but (laughs) true true crime is a different thing that's a documentary and you're not like gore effect to real effect like no i don't want to see a real person being pulled out of a car wreck or something i i did research on a project this is was really before the explosion of the internet because it is around 1981 or whatever Mm. and i was actually doing a thing about uh i kind of wanted to try and replicate m and so i went to the lapd and they took me down to the sex crimes unit right and these guys they were great but they warned me they said look we will show you some crime scene photos but you may not want to see this stuff right yeah Yeah. this is real and it freaks a lot of officers out they don't want to stay in this unit very long and everything else and I was Mr. Bravado, so I right. said, oh, sure. I take a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. It was so horrible. And that was the thing. Even if I had seen movie scenes that looked visually similar, the fact that this was real, yeah. just, it, it just entered my brain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I just never understood when, you know, that the conventions kind of, that, that was kind of going on for a little while. Yeah, there was a fascination yeah. with that. There were some people yeah, that I yeah. felt like were a little bit too obsessive about the gore stuff. You know, it was yeah. like a focus on the gore and the kills and the, you know, the gore and the kills. And, uh, you know, the slasher stuff to me, I've never really been too into that 
genre. I like you said, supernatural element is the thing yeah. that always appealed to me more often. I mean, I can't really think of any slasher movies other than I guess you know. Friday the Thirteenth and well, I mean, Halloween. I feel like Michael Myers is relatively kind of supernatural. He yeah, can't die or whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm is, Street. Is he the boogeyman? Yeah, yeah. Is he? Well, apparently he's not because the last movie they. Told well, God, him. yes. Now, God, that movie was terrible. No. Did you see the new Halloween? <laughs> no, I didn't. You know, I hold the the Carpenter movie in such yes. reverence. And yeah. I was up for writing one of the sequels at one point and stuff, but it just kind of get get diluted and diluted, yeah. and it's I I don't know what it is. I mean, there it's not like you can't make a good sequel. It's not like yeah, but the impact is never going to be the same. Right, right, yeah. And there was a simplicity. I feel like they keep trying to top it, but you don't need to top it. You just need to capture that spirit of the eerie quietness and the creepiness and the, the lead up, but nobody wants to do it anymore. It's all just bam, bam, bam. Yeah, you know. I know. No, I know. In fact, Ooh, okay. Here's a, a bloody Hollywood story for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> Woo! I was one of the writers who was brought in for uh, Jason versus Freddie. And I was sitting around trying to think of an idea and I came up with something that I thought would just absolutely nail it. And, uh, you know, this was back when I was represented by Catherine James. And I told her the idea and she just, there was like silence on the other end. And she said, you are going to get this movie. (laughs) So I go in, I pitch it to the head of development and he he said, my God, we've heard a zillion things. This is okay. This is what it was. And I wanted something really streamlined and clean. Yeah. So I said, okay, here's the deal. Why is Jason Voorhees the way he is? And everyone's kind of looking at each other. And I said, because he is the surviving Elm Street kid. Oh, that's interesting. And Freddy Krueger, to him, Jason is the one who got away. Mm, I like that. And that's what brings them together. Nice. And they blew me out of that office. Sean Cunningham <laughs> says, and he goes, I don't know. I can't really hear Jason's voice in this. I'm like, Gee, Jason, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> anyway, you know, I ended up at Bordner's racking up, you know, 70 bucks. Drinking you know, <laughs> your, your yeah. ears away. Yeah. Sean but Cunningham, asshole. Uh. <laughs> That's really fun. That's a good one. That's a blood. But one. yeah, that's the kind of that is a it's not like this major complicated convoluted twisted twist twists multiple twists on top of twists kind of thing yeah. that people seem to think they need to do now. I don't know. It, it's mm-hmm. like that would have been something that was like clean. You know, I love yeah. those movies that have a one-line premise, you know, or or a a quick premise. Well, also like that it informs the other films. Like you do the yeah. sequel, and all of a sudden you can see the new other films in a new light, which well, is the cool thing. You know, it's this serialized aspect now to sequels. I don't really, yeah. right? You know, um, for good or bad, you know, the Dirty Harry movies. Each movie stands as its own movie, right? Yeah. You know, James Bond. Each film. Now these are series movies, but they're still. Now, sometimes, yes, you do want continuity. Yeah, there's threads. I'm going to see uh, Taste the Blood of Dracula, which was <laughs> one of the great yeah. entrees from Dracula's from the Grave. My yeah. But um, 
it's we've gotten to that point now, particularly maybe with the Marvel Universe and things where, okay, if you haven't been watching show A, right, you're not going to understand the movie. And if you didn't see the previous film, and it doesn't even have to be from this series, it can be another movie. Right, yes, yeah. Right? Then And you didn't catch Captain America's cameo yeah. or whatever, you're not going to understand what the hell's going on this time. Yeah. Right. It's, I'm just, you know, maybe it's just too much for my old adult brain, but <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a minute, why not just a movie? I yeah. know. Just make a good movie. How yeah, because I think people get upset when the thing is a, when a thing goes against that. You know, it, it's like, you you read online you know i shouldn't even i shouldn't even address it but there's so many people online who say they're fans you know but they're actually just little boys who probably get mad at the teenager at the subway if they don't cut the cucumbers like mommy you know they they want everything to be the same every time i want it to be the same and and otherwise you're ruining my childhood and <laughs> It's like, I like total reboots. I mean, if I like the idea where somebody says, you know, they're going to do a Batman movie, but it's going to be 20,000 years in the future. And it's, you know, Batman is a woman or something. I'm like, yeah, I want to see that. I, I mean, why not? Mm-hmm. But some people are like, no. Well, it's like yeah. they, they don't want a black James Bond, which I think is completely a valid. Right. Like they need to make a black James Bond. It would be great. Uh, they Why need, not? What? They cast yeah. Lewis as a black man in the new interview with the vampire. Genius casting. Awesome yeah. idea. Gives it a whole new depth. <laughs> you know, it's like sure. I, the people get angry about that. And I don't understand it. They go, oh, it's woke. It's like yeah. we should be showing <laughs> the real world for what it is in our horror also. It well, if they'd ever really that. read comic books, they'd know that that happened all the time in comic books. You know, yeah. you, there were tons of total reboots. In fact, yeah. reboots for the sake of being a reboot, you know, the whole world gets erased we, and started over. <laughs> not even a complaint. Get out of here with that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you remember now, this was the, the Batman I grew up with in comic books was the Batman, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Daniel O'Neill, Neil Adams. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 long-eared Batman, the detective Batman. Yeah. And there was a lot of heat because they got rid of Robin. Right. Mm. And you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, the Dark Knight and all all that crap. But yes, there (laughs) is a comic book genius. Screw him. Let me tell you something. Those guys did it first, and it wasn't until Christopher Nolan made his first movie that he gave them the credit. That's right. 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 Rob Gould, baby. I mean, that's. No, that that's Batman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screw up. Yeah, comic. Yeah, and oh, if you want to get a lot of letters, okay. Movie, uh, kind of that that weird, completest narrow vision fanboy thing. Man, those guys have nothing on the completely socially inept comic book guys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah well. totally. No, you can't even compete. No. That's no, a whole other no. level. <laughs> they're they're yeah, that's I don't even dip into that. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. planet Z. Oh, right. <laughs> and yeah. it's still there. Like it years later, it's is. still the same. Like that has not changed at all. Yep. <laughs> Just yeah. now they write emails and stuff, write letters. But other yeah. than that <laughs> It's like craziness. And then when you combine them, I mean, I've always felt like, why not? You know, I like it all. It's if it's if it's good, you know. Sure. There's some that I don't like, but then you know, somebody else will take those those uh, fictional characters and they'll do another another version, another reboot, another. Mm -hmm. You know, like I love Adam West. I love Christian Bale. You know, both of those are Batman. And what about Robert Pattinson? 
Yeah, I love that movie. I thought that was really <laughs> right. I cool. I liked him. I did not like the movie. I'm sorry. Uh, it was just way too long, and all he did was stand around. He didn't do any Batman stuff. It was a lot of nothing. He's yeah, a cool kind of actor, kept coming through doorways. Yeah, he was all lurking, yeah. and he'd go, what's this? They're like, Batman found the clue. It's like, <laughs> what's happening here? But it does, it was trying to address that kind of dark, the dark knight, the dark detective, detective yeah. comics kind of Batman. Yeah. But but what a brilliant job Warner Brothers Animation has done. That yes. Under yeah. the Red Hood was yeah. so was like one of the best things I've ever and I loved uh Gotham Gotham by Gaslight. Yes. Back yeah. Oh, that was really cool. Yeah. Such a good idea. Yeah. Those are fun. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm always gonna be a superhero guy. I think I don't know why. You know, it, it's I just grew up on that. It was like you know living in the little town that I grew up in. Comic books were one of the saviors. You know, they were one of the little windows into a into a cool escapist world. And I loved the um, I I was more of a Marvel kid. I love both, mm -hmm. but you know DC and Marvel. There's you know it's like Republican Democrat. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> But I was always more of a Marvel kid, and so I I actually love the Marvel films. I love the um, I've seen I think all of them. I don't think I've missed any of them, and I've worked on quite a few of it, you know, uh, here and there. So I'm kind of I kind of feel a little bit of a connection to it, personal connection to why I like it, you know, because <laughs> they've been nice to me. But well, I, I just I love the fact that they've actually instead of what you would see in the past with the Marvel Marvel properties, they would try to do their own twist on it as far as mm -hmm. making it like a TV series that you'd seen before or whatever. But they actually went back, I think, in these modern ones and addressed it from why why are these things still so popular? Why are they legend? Why are they so beloved? And it's like it's because of Jack Kirby. And Steve Ditko. Well, am I allowed to step Steve. away for about two seconds? Yes. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that's his cool background with all that fun stuff. Yeah. There's the silver. Speaking of Jack Kirby, uh, Kirby. All the Marvel stuff. But that's really cool. Wait. There. Uh, where uh, is it? Oh, there that's he is. funny. Oh, that's really yeah. Funny. This is Jack Kirby bust, I believe. Nice the cigar yeah. and everything. Yeah, oh, you gotta God. have. That's amazing. You gotta have the king. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I think it all can I mean I'm I'm one of those people that of all the people the Stan Lee everybody I, I I gravitate more towards thinking that the artist had more of a hand in it. I mean I appreciate Stan Lee a lot of course but I think to me it was Jack Kirby. Well, you know Berg that's the thing is the difference in uh, the Marvel and DC approach, even in the creation of the books, of course, was yeah. the artists were given more of a hand and then the writers would come in. I mean, they they would, you know, know what their story was. It was a Dr. Doom story, whatever it was going to yeah. be. And then they would come in, as they said, the quote unquote Marvel style. Right. And kind of right. fill in the blanks. Whereas DC, it was like a, it was like a movie script. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was what uh, the artists were given. So yeah. it was definitely a different, a different approach. And, uh, but you know, you, you end up with guys who worked for both. Yeah. Brilliantly. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like all about both of them, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up with Marvel, of course. Oh my God. 
when Stan in Stanley's soapbox, when he said Jack Kirby was leaving Marvel, that was I I I, 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 I like just laid in bed for a week. You know, <laughs> the world was dimming out for me. Oh. I, I, I just I just didn't know what I was going to do. You know, my God. But then, then of course. The new, the new gods, new gods, yeah, fourth, fourth world, world and all that stuff yeah. was so. That's like among my favorite Kirby stuff, Mister Miracle and all those, those crazy, crazy things. That was like okay, almost all of this is kind of what I always liked about his stuff at Marvel. So, what did Stan Lee do? I'm still. Dreaming about having my own mother box. So yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, or just the forever people. You know that whole the, the whole uh, how he was kind of even more so at DC, which DC was a little bit always more a little conservative. I felt Marvel was a little bit more hip, you know. But when he got to doing his forever people stuff, that it was sort of the counterculture, the sort of beatnik, not so much beatniks, but the oh. They're oh that great the hippies cycle and, yeah oh, they were yeah, on motorcycles sure. and they had long hair and they're you know they were but black now, light posters and here's here's the controversy <laughs> wait I'll get this off so I'm not all jumping all over the place there you can see Galactus uh, there right behind me oh yeah yeah you can yeah. see his, oh, his yeah. antlers um, That's really funny but you know here is the thing remember Marvel got into this issue with the Comic Code Authority with that issue of Spider-Man where the guy is high and he's going to jump off the balcony right yes or uh, the the building ledge I should oh, say yeah and there was no little stamp yeah however DC how the hell did they get away that great Neil Adams cover yes Green Lantern Green Arrow Bucky is a heroin shooter yes good lord yeah. Uh, the old days <laughs> yeah different times yep see i was more i mean I'm, I'm being pretty quiet during this because i didn't really have a dog in the race at the time i was like yeah batman's good i loved batman when i was a kid i didn't really i wasn't into it but i, I was more like tales from the crypt so that's why i like i love all horror anthologies like that was sort of my jam i wasn't like superheroes i was more like oh the creepy crawly you know so that's yeah. why I think why I'm liking that, you know, the Cabinet of Curiosities is very, very uh, Tales from the Crypt feeling, but just like, you know, elevated, you know, like times 100. Yeah. Um, well, those really Amicus well movies that, that were based on EC comic books, you know, that's where yep. Tales from the Crypt and all those things were based on those EC comic stories. But and those were classic. Yeah. And, comic and well, books of course, that... Amicus really going back to like something like Dead of Night yeah. Had you know mm -hmm. they had Doctor Terror's House of Horrors and right. Torture Garden and yeah the House that Drip Blood and all these mm -hmm. kind of pre tales from the crypt okay. yeah so they actually you know had their own anthology format yeah. really in direct uh, competition with Hammer yes yeah so they were kind of the perfect company to go ahead and uh, jump into that I guess yeah. Hammer is now Blumhouse I mean. I, you know, it's, it's like oh. low budget horror. Like, I wish there was more hammer. Like well, what happened to them? Why is there not besides oh. Blumhouse who can do not great stuff too, but they, <laughs> but thank God there's someone out there doing it, you know, but I wish there was somebody who was doing hammer stuff. Like, why is there not more of that? Hammer like, is. like those little indie, indie um, companies who, who crank out the, the kind of low budget horror is this, it's not as common. Well, the stuff, the, the companies with, that kind of identity, whether it was Full Moon or whoever, and you know, and they were in the direct to video yeah. thing. But don't forget, Kathy Hammer is doing the Let the Right One in television series. 
Yeah, yeah but they're not the same. No, it's not Peter well, Cushing. It's not Peter Cushing. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. it, 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 it feels more like yeah. a big conglomerate making. I mean, I haven't watched Let the Right One In yet, but it doesn't have that sort of little scrappy, you know, make making the cool gothic stuff anymore. Yeah. But well, you know, think, the no, but first, thing. let's go back to a point. Why did you cringe when you, I said Blumhouse? <laughs> well, <laughs> well you know, there. come on. What just, did he do? No, he didn't do anything. It was very nice. It's just knee-jerk reaction, you know, comparing Blumhouse to Hammer, just kind of, you know. Oh, no, it wasn't even compared. It was more like, why is he the only one doing this? Like, tearing your heart out. Doing, I know. <laughs> tearing your heart out. You know. Um, I know. Horror has changed. The found footage changed everything, didn't but it? But, you know, this is this is the thing. I actually was in talking to somebody uh, who uh, had the deal with Paramount, and we were talking about the relicensing Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. Hmm. And um, you know whatever hammer titles, and that's a, it's very convoluted the way the, the you know the U.S. distribution on the British product and who actually put up yeah. the money. Right. And, you yeah. know that's why yeah. Yeah. when Warner Brothers back when Richard Donner uh, had uh, the library, I was uh, brought in to write um, the remake of Ten Seconds to Hell, oh. and. Uh, but even they couldn't. And remember, Carpenter was doing the Quatermass movie and all right. that. Right. Yeah. And they yeah. could never they couldn't get that launched. Uh, yeah. Insane. And again, because of all this stuff. So Simon Oaks did a fantastic job just sorting everything out legally. Mm. And uh, I love The Woman in Black. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I was about to say that's a really that's great That's what one. I want to yeah. see more of. Yeah. yeah. It's more the God. That gave me high hopes right there. Yeah, that yeah. was terrific. So yeah. but, good. You know, the thing is, what I. I've done a lot of some commentaries on hammer stuff and, and produce some uh, co-produce some uh, box sets of, of their releases primarily with Columbia. And the thing is, it's always that when you go in actually looking at these movies is how unbelievably cheap they actually were oh, yeah. <laughs> and what they and accomplished that, yeah. with no money. Yep. I mean, these, and you're like, Oh my God, God, you know, these, this is low budget, even by American standards, but th this elegance and, yeah. you know, everything, because they hired people who knew how to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. Yeah. So it was Good really wonderful. And, uh, oh, here, I got kind of something silly to tell oh. you. <laughs> oh wait a minute! I keep doing that. It's <laughs> something silly to tell you. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Now. Okay. I did uh, a commentary on a really kind of very fun Raoul Walsh movie called The Sheriff of Fractured Jaw, starring Jane Mansfield. I love um, that title. Okay. I have not seen that. And Kenneth Moore and yeah. Robert Morley. Okay. Mm. They, they shot the movie in Spain. And while they were there, they built a town to, you know, it was a Western town. And so with all the frontage pieces and all that stuff. Okay. Right. That town was uh, art directed by bernard robinson who of course was hammer's premier art director okay yeah. and he was british and this was an international crew and everything so it makes sense all right now get your minds ready to be totally <laughs> all right so he goes you know he's in london he's working with hammer he's creating all these miracles a movie company moves is in spain and uses that town as a location for their Western. 
And the Western was Fistful of Dollars. So the art director on the Horror of Dracula oh, is was actually funny. the art director on Fistful of Dollars. That's wow. funny. I was going to say, and this is actually a good segue to some of your books, too. It's a, like I was raised on on Hammer and, you know, Lee as Dracula and and Clint Eastwood Spaghetti Westerns. Like, those and that that was stuff yeah yeah, the the italian the spaghetti westerns i love love i mean we would go to like all night viewings of these things and so that leads me to that those those are about the only westerns i like like the that just there's something about those it just has this cool almost kind of gothic feel to them so like a a feeling of like myth mythology it's like a mythological Mm -hmm. right so what led you from horror to you now write a lot of western novels right correct um, oh yeah, no, I uh, created a series for for Pinnacle Books, uh, Shotgun. So yeah. what? How did you segue into that? Like, did you just always love westerns, and maybe your horror well, face was kind of involved you know, in that? One, I'm actually when we do this little dude uh, tomorrow at, at, over at Valley Relics Museum, I'm going to be talking about not only horror westerns, but here's hmm. the thing: so many people involved with horror films also made westerns and, and yeah particularly i wanted to nod to actors when you think of john carradine and lon cheney yeah. they made yeah. more westerns than they did horror movies yes yeah and it was actually it was lon cheney that really got me going because i was i don't know maybe seven or something and i'm flipping through tv guide looking for melodrama because that's what a horror movie was did right. and i see lon cheney's name and i believe it was on high noon mm. So I start watching High Noon, and I I, I did like Gunsmoke and things like yeah. that, you know. But my father wasn't like Mister Westerns or anything; uh, he was more Mister Perry Mason. So <laughs> Mister Perry Mason, I was suddenly I, I don't know it just kind of creeped in from the side, and uh, also the ABC Sunday Night Movie in those days. The good, the bad, the ugly was a major event. Yes. When yeah. they would show it once a year. That was mm. oh, big, big stuff. And there were still, there were a lot of Westerns that were still being shown in theaters. So, yeah. you know, Zana's Raid and, you know, that type of stuff. So, you know, you just kind of, you know, I just absorbed it. And I don't, I just, you know, fell in love with the, with the genre. But the more obscure euro westerns i wasn't really able to you know sometimes there'd be something at a drive-in where it was the last feature or something like that and uh you know william berger and klaus kinski and something dubbed um but i wasn't really able to explore that until um i got hooked into like video search of miami and those companies right you know you paid a fortune for a vhs that you know you could hardly see yeah but you got to see something yeah and these things were just not you know available and it literally was to the point i think with euro westerns that people kind of thought they began and ended with sergio leone mm. right right yeah yeah and of course whether it's lee van cleef or uh oh my god franco nero uh you yeah. know i i think the first django is just tremendous yes yeah. Yeah. you talk about death imagery Good oh Lord. yeah 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 is it's just wonderful but that's kind of what i wanted to to point out was so many euro westerns just like westerns here in the states were made by journeyman directors these guys if they weren't doing a giallo they were doing a western if they weren't right. doing a western they yeah. were doing a comedy you know they were they were guns for hire yeah and some of them that had just a real wonderful aptitude 
for the genre, but they weren't necessarily genre specialists. They just knew what they were doing. They were good filmmakers and they did their, this was, you know, assignment work. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a genre, you know, with mm-hmm. Western, it, it's a, Absolutely. it's another, it's another reality. It's a, it's separate from our normal every day. It's not like a romantic comedy set in the present day. Yeah. So you do have to kind of, when you're writing such a thing, you have to put yourself into a reality that you've never really lived in, which right. I guess if that Absolutely. relates to anything. But one and, of the things that, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, I, I'm sorry. I get all jazzed up. No, no, no. get it. That's, That's why you're here. <laughs> well, you know, and also, you know, when we talk about the different genres, don't forget how many of these filmmakers, whether it is Sergio Corbucci, whether it is Mario Bava, Mario Bava were making so much, yeah. Hercules yeah. movies and right. Samson movies yeah. and Goliath and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Making paper mache wow. dragons and that's it. it. I think he was that's in right. the art department too, doing design. And it's and Mario Bava's father, I think, was in a was did production design and mm-hmm. s- sculpture and things like that. It was all it was all creating, you know, world building and that kind of thing. I think Absolutely. when you make a western, you create a western, you're world building. It's like similar yeah. to science fiction in a way, you know. Yeah. But one thing that always um that always grabbed me really hard about those Euro Westerns was the music, the Ennio Morricone mm. music. That's so the good. thing that when I was young, it really pulled me in because I think that just set this emotional foundation under oh, yeah. so much of the, 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 the movies. And I always, I've, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but it's, I've told my friends, but one of the great memories of my life, I think one of them, I have many, but my wife, my wife and I were in, um, we were in Venice. We were in Italy and we were walking around. We had spent the afternoon in Venice and that night we wanted to go out at night after dark, you know, and they say that's when the locals come out and the tourists go away. So we were wandering around and we we're in St. Mark's Square and there's this little cafe over there and there's a band, a old fashioned Italian cafe band, you know, with a, with a piano and the guy's got a, got a violin and there is a stand, upright bass and a trumpet and a couple of other instruments and i heard echoing through the the alleyways of venice the music from once upon a time in the west <laughs> and it was like the most stirring thing it's it's hard to explain the the way it echoed you know the fact that we're in Italy. <laughs> We're walking. So we went to this cafe and my wife is not really familiar with these movies so much, but she's just like, oh my God, what is this music? What is this? And so she she filmed it with her camera and we, you know, I was like, this is great movie. And we ended up watching the movies and now she's really, you know, into Ennio Morricone has all of his... <laughs> She's got her iPod, you know, her her phone is full of his music. And so it was just one of those things. And I think I, I'm in my opinion, I think music people that score films are filmmakers. They tell the story in in just as much of a way as the production designer or the director in some cases. Yeah. And I think a lot of those European Westerns have that Italian sensibility to the emotional content which i don't know if that makes sense but there's a style to italian films you bring that to the to the american setting of the old west and you get this beautiful mixture which becomes almost like legend 
you know, mm-hmm. like you're, you're like you're well, listening to something from an ancient text. Well, you know, Leone and Marconi went to uh, grammar school together. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the th- techniques that they kind of uh, developed, I got, got a, like about three stories in a row. Um, <laughs> that's, that's is great. the, the <laughs> re- that uh, Marconi would go off and he would temp the music. As you know, they would play it on set. Yes. While mm. they were shooting. Yes. And part of the reason was uh, Leone wanted uh, his actors to be walking in sync with the beat yes. of the music. And this is particularly true That's when funny. Fonda and his gang approached the uh, ranch before they slaughtered the family. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And um, he was Fonda was like, what is what is it? He had never in his life ever heard of anything like this. Plus, they weren't recording sound. That's right. And of course, you know, those movies were never, you know, recorded with a sync track. Right. And so. So you could shout direction to actors. Which Leone had a tendency to do. Yeah. um, But when out here at the Autry Museum, Mrs. Autry decided to really up kind of the ante and bring people in. And they did a big. Sergio Leone Festival. Clint Eastwood yeah. paid for the restoration of all the movies and everything. And Ennio Marconi was not able to come, but Francisco Damasi and, you know, all these, you know, his coordinators and his orchestrators did, and they brought the orchestra. Wow. So there we were in the forecourt, you know, listening to this incredible music and every, everybody's there, you know, it's like, oh, look, there's Martin Scorsese. It was really cool. Wow. <laughs> but we, me and Darren and a bunch of us went to a screening of Fistful of Dollars the following day in this restored print. Okay. The Whistler, who had to be like 85 years old, was there. <laughs> wow. And he goes out with a guitar and just him and whistling that, wow that's amazing oh my god and me and darren and all of us are just sobbing our faces off this yeah. is so awesome and darren's wife and the girl i was with they just looked at us like we were like yeah yeah, yeah. our head idiots yeah. oh that's sweet <laughs> and, oh my gosh it was just so so wonderful and uh but when when steve carver uh was doing lone wolf McQuaid, he had demasi do the score and a lot of uh, Marconi's score was actually recorded in a church, I guess, in Rome mm. that had just the perfect acoustics. It was no longer a, a, a church. Yeah. And they would bring the orchestras in and whatever. And Marconi came in one day just to see what was going on. And he orchestra and he conducted the score. Yeah. Wow. And um, Steve was just like, said maestro yes please you know oh but here here one one more story um steve was uh as you know he was a very good friend of mine and we co-wrote a book together and then he he died during covid um we um he was doing a movie called drum which is a sequel to mandingo oh starring ken morton oh And uh, the director, the Western director, Burt Kennedy, the war wagon and all that stuff had started it. And Dino De Laurentiis felt he was turning it into too much of a Western. So Mm -hmm. Burt stepped aside and Steve was brought in to take over the movie. So he goes to Louisiana and Burt is still there and shows him everything he shot and whatever. And he was he he was fantastic. Burt was a really nice man, but he's also getting paid his whole salary. So he was fine. Go have fun, you know. (laughs) <laughs> and so anyway, 
Dino Dorenis tells Carver, uh, you're going to have a roommate. We got the big house. You not even have to see each other, but you're going to have a roommate. <laughs> He's like, okay, great. His roommate was Sergio Leone. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, oh, my God. And Sergio was there to try to get De Laurentiis to finance a project. I think it might have been Once Upon a Time in America. Wow. And so uh -huh. he was there during the whole shooting. And he sometimes he'd come on the set, but let's say he stayed at home cooking. So at the end of the day, everybody would go to their house where Sergio Leone had made these giant Italian feasts. That is so cool. Yeah. Wow. Just, you know, oh, yeah. That would be amazing. That's pretty that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. <sighs> so good. So there there we go. That's a great ending. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, just, I just feel fortunate that I that my wife. You know how you, you're talking about the people that you're with. Sometimes they look at you and they're like, "What? What is it about this that, that you like?" I feel fortunate that my wife kind of gets it. You know, <laughs> a lot of cases, like when we were yeah. heard that music coming down the hall. You know, down these uh, alleyways, and mm -hmm. it was like uh, it was one of those things where like. This is the power of film and music all both together, you know, because you can listen to that music by itself. You can you could probably watch those films without music and still be, you know, engaged. Mm -hmm. But when you put those things together, it becomes this magical. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, with Euro Westerns, there's also this they've kind of come to under scrutiny and it's like, well, this is the thing. You have to look at the way the movies were made because it definitely directly affects the content. Yeah. By that, I mean yeah. the total absence of Native Americans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Completely. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't good. <laughs> and except for Burt Reynolds and Navajo Joe, you know. Yeah. That. Oh, my God. But, um, you know, it, it's interesting because it's like, well, you can't, again, you can't take uh, – a, or make a cultural judgment about films or this kind of art without looking into the background of its origin points. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, and I know they, they have come under criticism for that, but I'm like, well, no, you know, they were made in Spain. They were not, Yeah. they were not made, even though they kept saying, you know, you know, Utah territory. Yeah. You know, yeah. 1883, and in comes, yeah. you know, Klaus Kinski or something. Right. <laughs> you know. So true. Uh, so are you watching, and we'll, we'll bring it forward into the present, are you watching anything now that you appreciate, like streaming any series or anything that you think is worthwhile? Is there anything you're, you're thinking Oh, about? gee. Well, I can tell you, I'm seriously looking forward to uh, uh, Justified High Noon in Detroit. Oh, my God. Uh, mm, yeah. That's going to be so good. I'm glad they got Oliphant back. Yeah, that is so great. But you know, I—I'll be honest. I—I I, I end up going to BritBox because yeah. I'm so. Any time I can get a British police procedural, I'm yes. there for like the next thirty yeah. hours. The best. Yeah, it doesn't. That way is to the do stuff. It. Yeah. Yes. Did you see Line of Duty? Or no, yeah. Line of Fire. Line of Line Fire. of Fire. Yes. Oh, yeah. that is amazing. It's so hardcore. Like, yeah. just oh, chilling. Yeah. Now, I, I just love it because they seem to capture a, um, I want to say objectivity, but yeah. a realism 
even in the way, you know, everybody relates to each other or whatever, and there aren't any specific nods to anything in the headlines or whatever. It's just, right. you know, yeah. because this is the way cops are. They just, yeah. you know, just yeah. go. Ooh, can I, can I tell you a silly story? Yes. Yes. Okay. Please tell us a silly story. That's what story. this podcast is all about. <laughs> okay. My upstairs neighbor, she is no longer there, uh, used to fight a great deal with her boyfriend. And one night she stabbed him. Oh, yikes. Uh, multiple times. Ah. And uh, he got out of there. He was actually, I think, like a, a uh, animal pantomimist. In fact, I think he worked for Disney a couple of times. Weird. Oh, yeah. Like so, an animal movement. Exactly. Oh, okay. They would put the, you know, the ping pong ball markers over. Right. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so he's taken off. And I, I called the cops because they were screaming and yelling and things were being broken and everything. Wow. All Oof. right. So the police arrive and, you know, I have everything in hand and they found the guy and they took him to the hospital and everything. And the the officer comes into my house and he's looking around at all my you right. know, universal <laughs> monster stuff in the next room and everything. And he's like, well, you know, I've got a big uh, Star Wars collection and it's all in the original packaging. Oh, but sure. my wife let me have it in the house. So I had to build a special thing in the garage. And I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah. yeah What's your you address? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> he goes, well, my aunt was a uh, actress. Uh, she was kind of a star. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. I said, who's your aunt? Kim Novak. What? Oh, yeah. I never heard, no, of, never heard of her. Yeah. And I was like, what? Time. That's exactly that was my reaction. And there was Officer Novak. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, no kidding. So that's not <laughs> a fake Hollywood. name. I didn't know that she oh, that my was God, yeah. not her and Hollywood name. Talking, he says, well, I met Kirk Douglas when I was eight years old. I said, yes, oh strangers God. when we meet. And he goes, yeah, wow. that's the movie. You've seen that movie? And it was, oh, that is crazy. hilarious. Oh, my yeah. God. Hollywood's hilarious. Yeah, yeah I know. Where he else? had a picture taken in front of my uh, 40 by uh, my French grand of uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly that's in the other room. Wow. That is so cool. Yeah, That is a Maybe great way. To end this incredible interview. And, you know, Hollywood it would story. be great to have you back on to talk about, like, genres. Like, to have a whole episode about a hammer. Or we should have a whole episode about, like, maybe just your writing. And it would be really fun to do that, I think. So we should I know. I actually had I had more que I had, a, had another question I wanted to ask. But I think it would trigger another hour of, of discussion. But <laughs> I just. I'm sorry. I, I kind of. No. no, this is fantastic. This grandpa's is, disease. You know, we just want you back on for another episode. So you just have to. We, Yes, we absolutely. encourage we encourage grandpa's disease on this podcast. <laughs> this the origin of this podcast is the fact that we all have grandpa's disease and we like to share it with the world. And we want to tell everybody and, we yeah. go off on tangents like we're proud of it. Yeah. Yes. So we're definitely having you back on, even just as if, a get just as another co-host to talk about movies. It'd be awesome. Oh, wonderful. If you want yeah. to. But you you have to agree right now on tape. I, I, you know. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Do I need to open a vein or anything? <laughs> yeah, you must send us a cup of your blood. Yeah. This is contractually binding if you say it on a podcast, <laughs> apparently. So <laughs> no problem. Oh, speaking right. of blood, well, I'm watching Taste the Blood of Dracula tonight, the new Bev. You That's drink a great it. Halloween. You drink oh my god, it's so good. I Always on film. Always. Yep. That's so great. With That's Frankenstein cool. must be destroyed. Oh, so good. Which I think I saw with you many years ago. We saw that somewhere. You, I had never seen it before, and you were telling me Frankenstein must be destroyed, which I think may be one of the greatest titles of all yes. time. But a really strange movie. It's a Hammer film that is not what you might expect. It's it's a surgical drama. That's yeah. the thing. It's so unusual. And yeah. 
Okay, this may get a little too personal and dicey, but I will say when the first time I saw Frankenstein Monster Destroyed, I was like 10 years old. And I'm looking at Simon Ward and Veronica Carlson kissing, and I'm like, no, that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, that's about the right age. That's what I want to be when I grow up a guy who kisses women. That's my goal. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here and then being here for so long and talking to us. And we'll definitely have you back to talk more. Oh, you guys are the greatest. Thank we you. could go on and on and on, I'm definitely. afraid. That's why we're going to stop now and go on and on again. In another okay. episode. But hang out after the after the credits. Yeah. We'll be off the air, and then we can okay. then we can talk about the really interesting talk stuff. about behind the scenes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. See but you guys thanks later. Thanks for joining us today uh, with uh, Courtney Joiner, the legend. He will he'll be back. He's he's Amanda actually legend. he signed the contract. Yeah, he'll be back. Yes, I have. <laughs> There's tons more stories. We know there is. All right. Oh yeah. See you guys later. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.